Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. going to dismiss our kids at this time, and they're going to go um, to Renaissance Kids and um, have a great time there this morning, and then they'll come back probably towards the end and join us as we worship more at the end this morning. And so again, welcome. It's great, great to have all of you. If you haven't met me yet, uh, my name is James, and I'm just so grateful to serve as the pastor and, um, and just um, to, to bring God's word and to just everything that we get to do when we gather together. I'm grateful to be able to do that and to be a part of this family with you guys. And so I just want to briefly, um, as we kind of get into the sermon, I just want us to, to, sometimes it's good to take a step back and think about, okay, what are we doing here? Like this, as far as Renaissance Church and those of you that are here and serving alongside Voyage Church, like what are we doing? What's the point? And I want you to, say, to just picture this in your mind. Um, whether you're a visitor with us or part of Renaissance, what if, what if we can be a church where people, me, you, every single one of us, people in our community, people that aren't yet connected, but where people can come and discover who Jesus is, and then he changes our hearts? And what if we as people can be growing in our faith, discipled, right? We define discipleship as following Jesus while equipping one another to do the same thing. And we follow Jesus. We're growing in our faith. And what if we see that in people and in lives all around us and people, our neighbors and our friends and people in this neighborhood and people that we know coming to discover the beauty of who Jesus is and growing in their faith, growing in God working in them and seeing transformation happen in their lives, seeing lives changed by the good news of Jesus. And what if we continue to see this church and voyage and others grow Growing in numbers because we're seeing people coming whose lives are being impacted by the gospel. And what if in the middle of all that, as a church, we're able to see leaders, people, you, right? Growing and developing and learning that we'll have people who are church planners and people who want to be a part of church planting teams that we can say, hey, we exist so that we can glorify God, but we exist so that we can raise up people and send them out and see ourselves multiply. Because there's a limited amount of what we can do with one church here in this neighborhood. But what can God do with many, many leaders, people who are saying, I want to go and make disciples. Seeing people raised up and sent out and seeing teams of church planners, teams of people going out and saying, hey, I want to use the gifts that God has given me to be a part of seeing a church grow and establish in different places so that people find Jesus and are discipled in their faith. What if we could be a part of that? That is my heart and my longing for our church to see that happening among us, to see people coming to know Jesus, moving from someone who is lost without Christ to one day being a leader, using God, using their gifts to reach other people. I'm so grateful for, um, for Voyage Church. So Ben and Alyssa Fleet are in the process today. They have their um, third preview service and launching their church in September. We get to be a part of this, and we're so thankful for that and thankful for what God's doing in that. And we're going to pray for that here in a moment for their preview service this afternoon. And I know many of you have been serving with them this weekend and handing out coffee and hot dogs and meeting people and connecting with people. That's incredible. Like this, We are so grateful to have you as part of that with us of connecting with people because we want to see people loving and following Jesus. And then um, some of you this morning are from Virginia Beach in Virginia. And, and, and as you, you mentioned to me, for those that are not from there, you may or may not be aware, on Friday there was a, just a tragedy in Virginia Beach, a shooting that happened. And I think there were 12 people that were, that were killed in a government building and just a, a tragedy. And, um, you know, some of, the, some of the group shared that they have many connections and people that they're, people you know or people that are close to the situation correct? And so we want to pray for that again this morning and pray for, just for that tragedy, just it's such a, we, we pray for it regardless, but it's such a close, close to home for many of you I know. So let's pray. We're going to pray for Voyage and pray for that, that situation there, and then we'll, we'll jump into the sermon this morning. So God, we take a moment just to come before you again. And God, I, I just want to begin by praying for Voyage Church this afternoon. 
God, would you bring people, would you continue working in hearts that they would be curious to see and to come and find out what this is all about? Not just the church, but knowing Jesus. God, I pray for every conversation and every cup of coffee and every connection that was made, God, that there, many people would be thinking, I wonder what this is all about, God, that you would draw them to come, that those relationships could grow. God, I pray for Ben as he preaches this afternoon and as they gather for their service, Lord, just put your hand upon that and continue to work and prepare hearts so that we can see Voyage Church um, thriving and growing and making disciples. So we just pray for them this afternoon. And God, we pray um, just for this situation in Virginia Beach. God, so many people um, just grieving and so much loss and so much fear. And God, when we come to these things, these situations of tragedy and fear, where do we turn? God, all we know is that you are secure. You are our rock. And what is your word says that even if the mountains are shaken and the hills be removed, but God, your covenant of peace will remain, God. Your love will remain. Your steadfast love never changes. So God, I pray that you would comfort people. I pray that you would bring, show your grace to people. I pray that in the middle of this tragedy that people will discover that you are a firm foundation. So Lord, just bring your comfort and your grace. God, speak to our hearts in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, again, just grateful to gather and grateful to be in God's Word. And so this morning we're in um, the third week of our series called Overflow of the Heart. And we're looking through the book of Psalms and looking at centered on God. Everything revolves around Him. And the biblical spirituality is not centered on us, but it's centered on God and rejoices in Him. And so we have to have a correct perspective of who we are before God. Now, it's true. We're loved by God. We're created by God. We look in the book of Genesis, it says he made man and he made woman and it was very good. God loves and adores every single one of us. So it's not about value, but at the very same time, we are nothing compared to him. When we think about his greatness and his glory and his holiness, we are so small. We are so insignificant. And that shows us the love of God that even though we are so small, so insignificant, he loves us deeply. And he's willing to reach after us, to come to us so that we can know him. But it's, it's not about us. It's about him. A self-absorbed and praiseless spirituality is a fake spirituality. If our lives don't have worship to God, if we were saying, hey, I'm a Christian, but I don't ever worship, I don't ever put my attention, I don't ever praise him, I don't ever thank him, then we are missing the point. Because a praiseless spirituality is a fake, self-absorbed spirituality because it's not about us, right? It's not about me, right? Say it with me this morning. It's not about me. Tell someone, tell someone next to you, it's not about me, right? It's important to remember. It's so vital. We have to understand our standing before God, our position that it's about Him, Right? So before we read our psalm, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on Psalm 145. Uh, and this is really just fascinating, right? This passage starts and ends with praise. So we're going to hear in the first three verses and in the very last verse of just this David, David writing it and just saying, basically, great is the Lord. Praise the Lord. So it starts and ends with praise. Right? The other thing about this psalm is it's an acrostic. Right? Does anybody know what an acrostic is? right? Where every line, like it's different than like an acronym, like ASAP is as soon as possible. So it's a little different than that. It's a little more developed than that, right? But an acrostic where um, using the alphabet or using someone's name or something like that, you write like a poem or something like that. Well, this psalm is an acrostic that each line, if we were, if we could read Hebrew, if this was in Hebrew, each line starts with, the, it goes through the Hebrew alphabet. And each line starts with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet, right? So it's fascinating to think about that. The Jewish people, recited this psalm, traditionally they recited this psalm twice in the morning and once in the evening. Now what do I mean by all of that? Which, just to me, which is so interesting to show the value of praise. It's this, that from morning until night, praise is central. And literally from A to Z, or if you're Canadian, A to Z, right? Praise, that's supposed to be a joke, by the way. Praise is central. From morning to night, from beginning to end, our whole lives revolve around the greatness and the glory of God. And even the design and the structure of the psalm points us to that, that from beginning to end, from morning till night, God is worthy of our praise. Psalm 145 tells us who God is and what he has done. And we see that worship 
is an overflow of the heart in response to who God is and what he has done. All right, let's read our passage together this morning. As we read, man, this is part of our worship. We read God's word and we read these words of psalms and hymns of praise to God. So it'll be on the screen and I'll read it here for us. Psalm 145, David writes, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak of the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Man, we hear those beautiful words, and we could probably just stop there and just think about those and think about who God is. We want to walk through and look at this passage and see how this impacts our daily lives and how we turn our attention to God and praise Him. Two main things I want us to look at this morning. We worship God for who He is, and we worship God for what He does. All right? Good? Everybody awake? Here we go. So we worship God for who he is. We look at this word worship. The word worship literally means worth-ship, that God is worthy of or deserving of praise, deserving of our lives, right? You get this picture. Picture someone bowing down before a king, right? This is what worship looks like. This is the picture of humility, of coming and saying, you deserve the honor. You deserve praise. You deserve glory, that God is worthy of our praise. And our psalm today is full of words that describe who God is, his character, what he's like. Let's look at our passage, and I'm just going to run through a bunch here. We look in verse 1, and we see God as king. Look in verse 3, we see that he is great. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In verse 5, we see that he's majestic. In verse 7 and verse 9 and, and a few other places, we see everything is centered on God. Everything revolves around him. And the biblical spirituality is not centered on us, but it's centered on God and rejoices in him. And so we have to have a correct perspective of who we are before God. Now, it's true. We're loved by God. We're created by God. When we look in the book of Genesis, it says he made man and he made woman, and it was very good. God loves and adores every single one of us. So it's not about value, but at the very same time, we are nothing compared to him. When we think about his greatness and his glory and his holiness, we are so small. We are so insignificant. And that shows us the love of God that even though we are so small, so insignificant, he loves us deeply. And he's willing to reach after us, to come to us so that we can know him. But it's, it's not about us. It's about him. A self-absorbed and praiseless spirituality is a fake spirituality. If our lives don't have worship to God, if we were saying, hey, I'm a Christian, but I don't ever worship, I don't ever put my attention, I don't ever praise him, I don't ever thank him, then we are missing the point. Because a praiseless spirituality is a fake, self-absorbed spirituality because it's not about us, right? It's not about me, right? Say it with me this morning. It's not about me. Tell someone, tell someone next to you it's not about me, right? It's important to remember. It's so vital. We have to understand 
our standing before God, our position that it's about him. Right? So before we read our psalm, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on Psalm 145. Uh, and this is really just fascinating, right? This passage starts and ends with praise. So we're going to hear in the first three verses and in the very last verse of just this David, David writing it and just saying, basically, great is the Lord. Praise the Lord. So it starts and ends with praise. Right? The other thing about this psalm is it's an acrostic. Right? Does anybody know what an acrostic is? Right? Where every line, like it's different than like an acronym, like ASAP is as soon as possible. So it's a little different than that. It's a little more developed than that. Right? But an acrostic where um, using the alphabet or using someone's name or something like that, you write like a poem or something like that. Well, this psalm is an acrostic that each line, if we, were, if we could read Hebrew, if this was in Hebrew, each line starts with, the, it goes to the Hebrew alphabet. And each line starts with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Right? So it's fascinating. Think about that. The Jewish people recited this psalm. Traditionally, they recited this psalm twice in the morning and once in the evening. And what do I mean by all of that? Which, just to me, which is so interesting to show the value of praise. It's this, that from morning until night, praise is central. And literally from A to Z, or if you're Canadian, A to Z, right? Praise, that's supposed to be a joke, by the way. Praise is central. From morning to night, from beginning to end, our whole lives revolve around the greatness and the glory of God. And even the design and the structure of the psalm points us to that, that from beginning to end, from morning till night, God is worthy of our praise. Psalm 145 tells us who God is and what he has done. And we see that worship is an overflow of the heart in response to who God is and what he has done. All right, let's read our passage together this morning. And as we read, man, this is part of our worship. We read God's word and we read these words of psalms and hymns of praise to God. So it'll be on the screen and I'll read it here for us. Psalm 145, David writes, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all he, that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak of the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Man, we hear those beautiful words, and we could probably just stop there and just think about those and think about who God is. We want to walk through and look at this passage and see how this impacts our daily lives and how we turn our attention to God and praise him. Two main things I want us to look at this morning. We worship God for who he is, and we worship God for what he does. All right? Good? Everybody awake? Here we go. So we worship God for who he is. We look at this word worship. The word worship literally means worth-ship, that God is worthy of or deserving of praised, deserving of our lives, right? You get this picture. Picture someone bowing down before a king, right? This is what worship looks like. This is the picture of humility, of coming and saying, you deserve the honor. You deserve praise. You deserve glory, that God is worthy of our praise. And our psalm today is full of words that describe who God is, his character, what he's like. 
Let's look at our passage, and I'm just going to run through a bunch here. We look in verse 1, and we see God as king. Look in verse 3, we see that he is great. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In verse 5, we see that he's majestic. In verse 7 and verse 9 and, and a few other places, we see that he is good. In verse 7, we see that he's righteous. In verse 8, he is gracious. In verse 8, he's merciful. Look in verse 12, he's powerful and doing mighty deeds. We look at all this and it's telling us who God is, what he's like, what his character is. That he is a great and mighty God, worthy of our worship and worthy of our lives. Because, simply because of who he is. That he is great. There's no one above him. There's no one like him. I love verse 3. It says, verse 3 says, and his greatness is what? Is unsearchable. It means we will never figure it all out. We will never know completely the greatness and the glory of who God is. We're too limited. We're too finite to grasp his greatness. It's unsearchable. This is who God is. And the reason for praise in our lives lies in who God is. That he's worthy. Why do we, why do we worship? Because he simply deserves our worship because of who he is. And the Bible is not focused on us and biblical spirituality is not focused on us and what we need. It's focused on God and who he is. It's centered on him. Now think about this. His character creates in us a response. Okay? Think of a time that you've seen something just amazingly, like breathtakingly beautiful. Has anyone been to the Grand Canyon? Okay? Yeah? I haven't, so tell me about it, right? But Grand Canyon, the ocean, beautiful scenery, mountains, whatever it is, like you've been somewhere and you've seen something, or, or like an incredible building. I remember when we first, we, one of the times first came to Montreal with my family, we went to see the St. Joseph's Oratory, and I'd never been there, and some people were like, yeah, you should go see it, and it was a rainy, cloudy day, and we were trying to figure out where it was. We got off the metro, and we were walking, and all of a sudden, we kind of turned, and it was like really foggy, and I'm like looking at my phone, and I turn and look, and I was like, oh, there it is, and that building, if you've been there, it is just massive. And you're like, whoa, wow. It's an incredible structure, an incredible um, architectural thing. But when you see something like that, see something amazingly beautiful, what's our response, right? For the husbands in, your room, in the room, you should probably look at your wife and like wink, right? Okay. When you see something incredibly beautiful, it creates a response, right? Amazing things create a response in us. We're wired that way. We look to God and we see what? He is the king above all kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's the creator of all things, the all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign, majestic God whose ways and greatness are unsearchable. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 4 that God is continually praised in heaven by angels never ceasing to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Our God is great. Our God is eternal. Our God is mighty. And when we worship God, we are joining in this song. We are joining with this song that is continual. Why? Because you and I were created to worship. We are created to worship and adore our God. He's worthy of our worship, deserving of our lives. And when we discover the greatness of God, the overflow of our lives is worship. When we come to encounter who God is and his power and his greatness, there's a response. Now, we can run from that for sure. We can run and say, nope, I don't want that. But when our hearts are seeking after him and our hearts are seeking to love and follow God, our response is, God, you are great. There is nothing else like you. I want you to pause and think for a moment. How have you experienced in your life how have you experienced who God is? Have you experienced him as good? Have you experienced him as kind? Have you experienced him as loving, as gracious? Have you experienced him as a father? Have you experienced him as patient, as just? We understand who God is. Worship is an overflow of the heart in response to who God is. The natural response to seeing and encountering the greatness of God is worship. So we worship God for who he is. Secondly, we worship God for what he does. So we look in this psalm today and we see over and over what God has done. Now, as I was preparing this, I was like, 
you know, and I'm working on my computer, and I'm like, I'm writing this out, and I'm like moving things back and forth between these two segments, right? Because these lines get blurry, right? And that's okay. The lines between who God is and what he does get blurry. The things that God does flow out of who he is, right? So I'm a father. I'm a dad, which means that I do things that dads do, including like bad dad jokes, right? Sometimes I think I'm really funny, and people don't laugh. Thank you, right? But I'm a dad, and so I do what dad things are. And you are whatever you are, and so you do things because of that. And it's the same with God. His, who he is determines the things that he does and his character, right? The worship of God starts with worship, worshiping him for who he is, right? Having the correct knowledge of God. We've got to know who he is. But then worship then includes praising him for what he's done, what he has done, what he does now, and what he will do. And this is experience. When we experience who God is, the response is praise for what he has done. You with me? There's a lot of words there. I get it, right? But God's character determines the things that he does. So we worship God for what he does. In verse 6 of our psalm, David speaks of his awesome deeds. David says, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. In verse 8, we see that God has been gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is how God has interacted with his people. This is how God interacts with us. This is the things that he does. In verse 13, we see God's faithfulness. It says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. God has shown to us his faithfulness, that he's constant, he doesn't change, he doesn't move. And then we come to verses 14 through 20. I just want us to, ro- to walk through this again and see what has God done and how can we worship him because he's what he, what he has done. Verse 14, it says, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. He upholds, he sustains us. Verse, verse 15, the eyes of, the, of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. We have a God who provides, right? Does this mean we get everything we want and everything we imagine? No. What's it says? He provides us food in due season. That We can trust that God cares, that he provides in the right timing, in the right ways, that he is a God who provides. We see next, he says, you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. He satisfies. He is the one who makes us whole, who makes us complete. We can search and search and search to find satisfaction in all kinds of things, and yet he is the one who satisfies. He comes near. We see this in verse, um, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. And then verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. He comes near to those who are broken, to those who are humble. He preserves us. He guards us. He keeps us in his grip. This is who God is and what he does. And we can praise God for what he has done. His mighty acts and his gracious redemption. We see both of those things in this passage. We see his mighty acts, the works that he has done. What has God done? Creation, rescuing his people, showing his power. We read in the God's word, we read in the scriptures, a God who does miraculous things, a God who works when it doesn't make sense, a God who leads and guides his people, who has created all things. These are the mighty acts of God, and we worship him for his gracious redemption, right? We see his abundant love and mercy, and we read that in this passage, that he is patient. He is slow to anger, abounding in love and mercy, gracious and merciful. We have a God who is loving. We don't have a God that just wants to throw lightning bolts at people. We have a God that says, come to me. Your sin matters. It's sin, and it deserves judgment, but I love you. And I've made a way so that you can know me through Jesus. We have a God who is abounding in love, who is patient with us in the midst of our weakness and our midst of our failing. And where do we see the grace and the mercy of God most fully? We see it in Jesus. That God sent his son. Jesus gave his life on the cross to pay the price for our sin, to take the punishment, the judgment for our sin. But why did he do that? 
practice of love for us because he desired that we would come to him, that we would know him in relationship. We see the beauty and the grace and the love and the patience of God through Jesus. And because of this, we praise the Lord with overflowing hearts because of the cross, because of the grace and love he has shown us by sending Jesus, Jesus becoming one of us and giving his life to pay for our sin. This is the abundant mercy of God. We don't deserve it. We've done nothing to earn it, and yet God has been gracious to us. Worship is a response to God. We think about the character of God and the acts of God, right? Is anyone wearing a diamond ring this morning? Okay, maybe not. Anyone have a large diamond? Okay, you know. <laughs> if you see a diamond, what does a diamond have? A one that's cut. It has facets. It has different sides and different angles. And so that when it's turned in the light, it sparkles in all kinds of different ways. And you get these different things looking at it. We think about the character of God and the things that he has done. It's like those facets of that diamond. And we look at God and see when we discover a new facet of who God is, we go, whoa, now I can worship God because of that. And we think about it. And we think in my own life personally, right? When we experience the patience of God and we realize, whoa, God is patient, then the cry of our heart is to say, oh, God, you are worthy of worship. You are a God who is patient. And as we discover those bits and pieces that make up who God is, it opens up more and more understanding of us saying, I can worship God. I can authentically, truly worship God because he's patient, because I know he's patient. I can worship God because he's a provider, because I know that he provides. I've experienced his provision in my own life. I can worship God because he's faithful. Because I've discovered in my own life that he never lets me go. I've discovered as I've followed him and as we've been serving and working in churches and all the things we do, we see God is faithful. At the end of the day, he doesn't fail. And when we discover these facets, these aspects of who God is, it prompts worship in us. Because the moment that you experience, whoa, God is loving your response is to say, God, you are a loving God. Praise your name. When you experience that God is patience, when you experience these, aspect, these aspects of who God is and what he has done, it overflows in worship. Because worship is an overflow of the heart and it's a response to who God is and what he has done. So now what? We worship God for who he is. We worship God for what he has done. How does this impact our everyday life? How does, what does this look like? What does praise, what does worship look like as we go through our lives? So we talk about these facets of this diamond. So I have a question. How do we discover who God is and what he does? Right? It's not just random. How do we discover and see and experience these different characteristics of God that prompt worship in us so that over time our worship begins to deepen and grow and expand because we understand more of who God is because we've experienced more of him? Well, it happens primarily through God's word. That when we read the Bible, when we read of who God is and the things that he has done, we start to see, whoa, that's what God is like. And we start to be able to worship God because we see his character and his acts in his word. Often here at Renaissance, we talk about something called growth rhythms, right? What are the things that we can do in our lives on a regular basis that are going to lead to growth in our lives? It's not a checklist. It's not like do this, do this, do this. But what are these patterns, these rhythms, that if we put them in our lives, we will grow? Well, we say it's this. First of all, we get alone with God to pray, to study the Bible, and to worship. Secondly, we get together with other people to do what? Pray, study the Bible, and worship. And then in the midst of that, we get active in obeying the things that God has shown us, serving people, and passing it on, making disciples, sharing the good news of Jesus. So we think about these rhythms in our lives. When we have these rhythms in our lives, we are discovering more and more of who God is. When we're praying, when we're reading God's word, when we're worshiping. Think about personal worship. What does that look like, right? For some, it may be music. That's normal for me to put headphones in and listen to music that points my direction, my attention to God. For some, it may be just taking a walk and noticing the beauty of God's creation. For some, it may just be being still and thinking about who God is. Whatever that looks like, when we add these things in our lives, 
we discover more and more of who God is, these growth rhythms. God reveals himself through his word and through obedience by faith. When we, when we understand what God's word is and then we start to obey and step out on faith to do the things that God is calling us to do, that's when we experience God. We experience the faithfulness of God when we come to those points in our lives where we say, okay, God, I trust you, and we step off the edge, and God is there, and God is strong, and God is faithful, and then we say, wow, God, you are faithful. But we don't know that until we know his word, and we don't know that until we start to step out in faith and obedience and trusting him. We say, okay, God, I don't know what this looks like, but I give you my life. God, I don't know what this looks like, but I'll go where you send me. And as we go, we experience God. That's how it works. It doesn't work by just kind of sitting in one place and saying, okay, I think I've got it all figured out about God now, so now I'll go. No, we walk in obedience step by step, day by day, and we see and experience the goodness of God. This is how we discover who God is. So the next thing here in our daily lives, what happens when we discover who God is and what he does? So it prompts worship. We've already said that. What does that look like? What are some things that happens in our lives when we discover who God is and what he does. I'm gonna, there's going to be five things that are going to be on the screen um, this morning that God's greatness prompts these five things in us. One of the first things that happens in us that it prompts is transformation. When we encounter God, our hearts are changed. We are not the same when we come in putting our faith in Jesus. We put our faith in him, we're made new, we're brought to life. Our desires change, our worship changes, right? We all worship something. And instead of worshiping ourselves, most of the time, or worshiping, saying, hey, um, it's, it's materialism, it's all these things, it's that person, it's this thing, it's that thing. These things that we're giving our lives to, our desires change. We say, I don't want those things to be the most important. My focus is on God. My worship changes. There's transformation that happens in our hearts. And think about this. This was just such a, a deep thing to me this week as I was studying, preparing, preparing for this. Nothing has a bigger impact on our character, okay? Our character being the way we live, the words we say, the things we think, the things we do. Nothing has a bigger impact on our character than a low view of God. If we come to God and we're like, oh yeah, it's God, but I don't really recognize his holiness. I don't really recognize his greatness. I don't really recognize that he sees all things, that he's powerful, that he's the beginning and the end. And we don't really pay attention to those things. Then our character will be low. Our character will be, I'll do what I want, I'll do whatever I want, because it doesn't really matter. I don't really have a, a high view of God and his greatness and his beauty. The biggest impact on our character is a low view of God. That when we understand, we have to understand that we are limited and he is not. When we see his greatness and his holiness, our character then can say, oh, I want to be like him. I want to follow him. And unless we have great thoughts of God, our thoughts of sin will be low. We'll say, it doesn't matter. I can do that. Who really cares? I can do what I want. I can make my own decisions. I can go where I want to say. I can do what I want to do. I want to... All of these things. That unless we have great thoughts of God, our thoughts of sin will be low. Our sense of obligation to God will be feeble. And our praises will be dull. And I read that from a book this week and just was just such an such a impactful thing to me. Okay? Let's think about it for a moment. That when we don't believe in God's greatness and we don't have an understanding of the character of God, then why does it matter for us to have high character? Why does it matter for us to live lives that are holy when we don't understand the holiness of God? It's this. Sin must be understood in relation to the holiness of God. Because if we don't realize God's holy, then we'll go through saying, well, yeah, I can kind of, I'm better than them. I do, I'm better than that person. I don't do the worst things, right? But that's not how we look at sin. We don't compare it to each other. We don't compare it to like, well, I used to do that a long time ago, but I don't do that now. We don't compare it to ourselves. What do we compare sin to? We compare sin to the holiness of God. Absolute beauty and purity and glory and greatness of God where no sin can be in the presence of God. When we understand God as holy and pure, then our character, we will recognize the depravity of our sin. We'll recognize the depth of our sin and the problem of our sin when we compare it to the holiness of God and we say, can't fix it. And it's Jesus who changes our hearts. It's Jesus that makes us holy. Right? Transformation. When we encounter God, our hearts are changed. Secondly, 
transmission, and I don't mean like on a car, but transmission as in like transmitting something, something, passing something along. Look at verses 4 through 7 again, and I love this. Verses 4 through 7 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak. Who's they? The next generation. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They, the next generation, shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. When we talk about these generations, here's what we see, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, what we do here right now, our lives is not just about us. It's not just about me and you. It's about future generations, that we proclaim the greatness of God to the next generation. You and I are a product of people before us. Generations and generations and generations of people who loved and followed Jesus, who obeyed his word, who stepped out in faith, who followed him in boldness and shared the good news of Jesus. We are a product of people passing on their faith to us. And there is a very real sense that just like David had his day and his time, it is our day and our time to pass on our faith to future generations. We think about that in practical ways. That's why we have kids' ministry here. That's why we have people that teach God's word to kids every week. It's why we say, for those that are parents, we want to teach and love and disciple our kids, even in the home, that they see what it means to follow Jesus. It's why that with our kids and in our homes, we want to show what it looks like to follow Jesus and share what it means to follow Jesus with our kids. Why? Because we are passing on the greatness and the glory of God and the beauty of Jesus to the next generation. Why? So that they will proclaim him. To who? To the next generation. God and his greatness is worthy of praise from all generations. And what happens in us is that when we discover the greatness of God, we transmit that. We pass that on to others. The next thing that happens these don't all start with T. If you were hoping they were, I'm sorry, they don't. All right? The next one is proclamation. What happens when we encounter the greatness of God? What does it do in us? It prompts proclamation. Verses 11 and 12 say, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and, your glorious, and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. When we discover the greatness of God, we not only respond in worship, but we respond by proclaiming him to others. We proclaim this is who God is. We tell of the beauty and the greatness of God. And we look at verse 21, the end of the chapter. David says, My mouth will speak of the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. He started the chapter in verse 2 by saying, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. And he moves into saying, let all flesh, let everyone see the goodness of God and praise the goodness of God because God is worthy of that. When we encounter the greatness of God, it stirs in us this desire to proclaim the greatness of God to the people and to the world around us, that we have good news, we have hope, we have a God who is great and mighty. The next thing it prompts in us, it prompts celebration, right? There's a party involved in this. When we discover who God is and the greatness of God, it is not this somber religious thing. It's us experience God and his beauty who brings us to life, and it prompts celebration. In verse 10, we see, All your works shall give thanks to you, and all your saints shall bless you. There is joy. There is life. A truly spiritual life is characterized by giving praise to God and celebrating who God is in our lives. And of course, there are times for sadness. There are times for lament. Soon we're going to go through a psalm of lament and look at what happens when we are just hurting and grieving. And yet we see the goodness and the grace of God that even in our struggle, even in our difficulty, we celebrate who God is because it's based on him, not us. And finally, it prompts in us meditation. Right? We don't mean uh, kind of an Eastern meditation of emptying our minds. We mean a meditation of setting our minds and thinking about God and filling our minds with God's word and filling our minds with thoughts of him. In verse 5, he says, On the glory of splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. David is just sitting and thinking about God, thinking about what he has done. 
reminding himself of who that is. When we encounter the greatness of God, it prompts in us meditation, to just think about God, to be still, to remember who he is and what he's done. So as we begin to wrap up this morning, we see this psalm and just the, again, we could just read it and just do what David said, just stop and think about it. And I encourage you to do that. Go home this afternoon and read it again and spend time thinking about who God is and what he has done. But even this morning as we talk about praise and celebration and joy and responding to God, you may be sitting here and being like, that's not the spot that I'm in. I'm grieving this morning. I'm struggling this morning. I don't really, I'm not really in sync with all of this. And what does God say to that? Read verses 18 and 19 together again. It says, The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. This morning, wherever you are, the Lord is near. You may be full of joy. Things may be great. You may be struggling. But we have a God who is near. We have a God who says, call on me. Humble yourself and cry out to me, and I'm right there. Sometimes the overflow of our heart is, God, I can't do this. God, I am weak. I'm struggling. I'm fearful. I'm stressed out and anxious. And we pour out our hearts to God and say, God, I I need you. And what does he say? I am near. I am near to those who call on me. This morning, call upon the Lord because he is near. And as we think about this passage, we think about how we need to respond. I want you to think in your own life for a moment. What is the overflow of your life? What's coming out of your life on a regular basis? Is it grumbling and complaining? When you encounter orange traffic cones, is it just like, ah, right? That's normal sometimes, right? We can't live like that because we'd be like that all year round, all summer, right? But is it grumbling and complaining that's overflowing out of your life? Is it fear? Are you walking around just afraid and afraid to make decisions and afraid of what next? what's next? Is it anger coming out of your life? Is it stress? Is it despair? Is the overflow of your life just simply a focus on yourself? Is the overflow of your life worship to God? Be honest with yourself. Ask yourself those things this morning because you and I, we are worshiping something. We are worshiping someone. And God is calling us to see through his word this morning his greatness, his beauty, who he is, so that our hearts will respond in worship to him. Because true worship flows out of a heart that has been changed by Jesus. Don't hear me this morning say, hey, everybody, we should be better at worship. That's not what I'm saying. Because if that was the case, then it would just mean that we'd have to kind of work harder and, okay, I need to really focus here. No, because true worship doesn't come from us just trying to be better, trying harder. True worship is an overflow of a heart that is connected to Jesus. We need God's grace to see with new eyes who he is and what he has done. And then worship is a response to that. We bring all this down to say, what is the truth of who Jesus is? What is the good news of Jesus? That We don't naturally worship. Our natural inclination is, is to run from God. Our natural inclination is to say, I don't want to listen to you. I want to do my own thing. It's called sin. We are rebellious against God in our hearts. And because of sin, we deserve God's judgment. But God, who is rich in mercy, what does Ephesians 2 tell us? Made us alive with Christ. That when we put our faith in Jesus, Jesus is the one who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross and rose from the dead. He died to take our punishment. All of that rebellion, all of that sin, Jesus died to take that upon himself. That when you and I, when we put our faith in Jesus and saying, Jesus, you are the only way that I can be made right with God. I believe in my heart that you are the risen Savior. You have risen from the dead. Jesus, you are Lord. Our belief, our faith is in that, and we surrender. Last week we talked about confession and what that means, and I was talking to someone this week, and we really didn't talk about the difference in confession and repentance and what that looks like, but a simple way to talk about that is confession is if you're driving in the car and you realize, I'm going the wrong way, right? You ever been there? I'm going the wrong way. 
That's confession. You acknowledge, you're acknowledging I'm going the wrong way. And yet part two of that is repentance. Because what is repentance? It's turning around. Saying I'm going the wrong way. I acknowledge it. I'm doing something that's not right here. But I turn around. God calls us to repent of our sin. To acknowledge I'm sinful. And I can't fix myself. But we don't just continue in that. We say I turn around. And I put my faith in Jesus. I surrender the keys of my life to him. When we do that, we are made new. We are brought to life. We are forgiven of our sin. And we discover the love and the grace of God. And our hearts respond and worship to him. And our hearts respond and saying, God, how can I follow you and faithfully serve you and love you in the ways that you've created me to love and serve you? This is the good news. We don't deserve this. And yet God says, come to me. All who are weary and I will give you rest. Come to me. Put your faith in me and I will make you new. God has revealed himself to us. God has revealed himself to us through Jesus. And what is our response? So this morning, Ben, I'll have you come up and play, but this morning as we ask ourselves that question, what is our response? Maybe this morning you need to say, you're at the place where you just say, I need to dive into God's word. I don't know God's character. I don't know what he's like. I need to get into his word on a daily basis so that I can understand and know the greatness and the beauty of God and the things that he has done. You may need to discover who God is. You may need to say, my life has not been overflowing with worship. And take, You may need to take some time and examine and say, what's going on in my heart? What's taking my worship? What's taking my attention? Is there sin that's keeping me from overflowing in worship? Are there things I need to deal with and confess? Maybe this morning you need to take time and remember who God is and remember what he has done and meditate on all that he is. Maybe this morning you may need to say, I need to put my faith in Jesus. I've never come to the point where I have recognized my sin and turned around in repentance and said, Jesus, I put my faith in you. That you are living, you are spiritually dead. God tells us, his word tells us that through Jesus we are spiritually, we are brought to life. We are made new and forgiven. And this morning you may need to say, I need to put my faith in Jesus. And Jesus alone is the only way to come into relationship with God. If you do that this morning, it prompts celebration and proclamation of the greatness of God because he changes our hearts. So what we're going to do is we're going to worship this morning. We're going to take this time to respond to all that God is and all that he has done. And this morning, whether during this time right now or even after the service, if you need to pray with someone, if you need to say, I need to give my life to Jesus, we invite you to do that. If it's after the service, you're welcome to come and talk to myself talk to Abby, Stephen, and Graham are back here by the computer, and Madison, and others, Alyssa is here, and Stephanie, and others in the room, you may need to go and say, I need you to pray with me. I want to follow Jesus, or I need you to pray with me because I'm struggling. How do you need to respond this morning? We're going to stand and worship. Let this time of worship be a response to the greatness of God. We're going to sing of his greatness. We're going to sing of who he is and all that he has done, that he is worthy and deserving of our worship this morning. Turn our hearts to him.